Good morning, good morning, good morning, River City Church. How's everybody doing? Live stream? We love you. We've not forgotten about you. We're glad you're tuning in today. Drop us a comment. Let us know who's there. If you're new here, I see a couple of new faces and old friends. Uh, we're glad you're here today. We like you already. I haven't met you yet, but I'm sure that I will like you. <laughs> um, we're going to hop into our lectionary passage from Psalm 118 today. If you guys would go ahead and stand with us. Psalm 118. This is a long one. We got four slides, four whole slides, guys. Hang in there. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the f festal, thank you. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And all God's people said, for his steadfast love endures forever. Jesus, we thank you that your steadfast love holds us up. It's everlasting to everlasting and endures forever. No matter the season or the circumstance, no matter where we find ourselves physically, whether we be pressed on every side or in a season of joy, your steadfast love endures forever. It never changes. So today, God, as we enter into worship, we ask that your presence will be known here today that Jesus would be lifted high up above anything else today. That the name of Jesus would be remembered more than any song, any, any word spoken. Jesus, the more you're lifted up, the more we're drawn to you. So would you be lifted high in this place today? In Jesus' name. We usually have intercessory prayer on Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. This week's prayer week. We are funneling everyone, hopefully, to prayer week from 9 to 9. So we want you to be there the whole time. If you can't be there the whole time all week, come sometime. We're not gonna have intercessory prayer at 7 a.m. on Tuesday to hopefully have everyone else come. It is gonna be good. I saw Bill had a station, Mariah has a station, Becca has a station, uh, lots of people have a station. Alyssa, me and Alethea have taken a station. Um, it's very, all of your senses are involved when you walk into the space. And it's the kind of place you can come and be at peace for hours on your own, or you can come at night when there's worship happening and there's people there to pray and receive prayer. But it's very, very worth your time and energy. And it's a great way for a family to step into the story of Holy Week and especially the resurrection. My family's coming. We always come at least one night together. And we all love it. Kids have ways to interact. There's art in some ways. So it's just really great. So I hope you guys can come. But it is the beginning of Holy Week. Today's the start of that. And really this week, it goes all the way up until next Sunday. And you all knew that. You all knew the Easter's coming next Sunday. 
But I think what I wanted to do this week was talk about, of course, Palm Sunday, which is today, but each day has an emphasis moving towards Easter, right? Lent's over on Thursday, Friday's Good Friday. We, we understand that there's deep significance in what the Christian calendar does, right? So it gives us an invitation into the larger story that many of us don't necessarily get because it's easier to focus on resurrection because, of course, how amazing, but it's, it's a little less easy to, to focus on how Jesus' followers all abandoned him or how the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was not one that would probably thrive in a Western culture or how there's times of awkwardness within the week. There's deep disappointments. And so what I love about the story of the Christian calendar that it presents us over a year, it brings us into the story in deeper ways than we're rec- we usually are recognizing. Which is why I truly love Palm Sunday. I didn't used to love it. We think of Palm Sunday as the day the kids walk in with the palms, which already happened. Wasn't that amazing? Minus Drew tackling one of the kids. (laughs) Whoever's child that was, I'm very sorry. Um, But that's kind of what we think about. It's positive. We think when we say Hosanna, it maybe means something like, God, you're awesome. You're amazing, but the words Hosanna literally means save us. The literal translation is we're desperate. So this community of people, they're celebrating wrongly in some ways because of all of the time they've waited for the arrival of this Messiah. And so Palm Sunday is a great day, so deep and so robust. All over the world, there are different ways people are celebrating it. I wanna read you a few of those. Uh, looks like we got almost all of our signups. Great job, guys. So in Poland, you can pull up some of these pictures as well. Palm trees don't grow, so people make artificial palm leaves, decorating them with tissue paper and flowers and ribbons. Some of these fake palms can be higher than 30 meters and need multiple people to carry them. There are competitions for the best ones. I would enjoy that part of it. In the Philippines, people in the Philippines will decorate and weave palm fronds into complicated shapes called palaspas. They're blessed at church and brought home for good luck. In Norway, people in Norway decorate their homes with birch twigs and painted eggs for Palm Sunday. Lots of places have the week before Easter off, and people will travel to cottages for skiing and reading and family time. It's like a vacation week. Some of y'all are like, we need to bring that here. The Netherlands, chicks and eggs are common symbols. You see one of these right there. Um, And it's all about the rooster there. So in some towns... Kids have a procession where they carry crosses decorated with ribbons. On the top is a rooster made out of bread. That's a bread rooster. In Belgium, in some towns, there are Palm Sunday processions and kids go door to door offering palm leaves in exchange for coins. So, anybody knew any of that? No. They just take stuff and give coins. I don't necessarily understand how that even works, but in America, of course, we don't do all that, but we do something on Sunday. And Sunday is the day where the kids walk around the church. So today, a quick question before we start is this. And if you want to close your eyes to really grasp this question in your mind and heart. Who is actual Jesus? And what kind of king is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And what kind of king is Jesus? Who is Jesus. And what kind of king is Jesus? 
Last week we talked about praying like a child and how most of us would answer in our prayers that question, who is Jesus, we would talk fondly of him. Most people would say something like, he's a loving father, uh, he pursues me, he gave it all for me, um, I have a relationship with him. And then when we talk about, we'll explain your actual prayer life, the place of intimacy with Jesus. Our conversations will probably look different because for a lot of us, there's a dysfunctional connection to the actual person of Jesus in relationship. And I think when we think about it here, there's probably something similar at play where we have this idea of what Jesus and who Jesus is, but in how it plays out in our life, I wonder if it matches. And I think it probably doesn't for most of us, and I think that's okay. And I think as I read these passages, these passages are trying to frame for us, what does God look like when we're unfaithful? I think that's important, right? Because we can read what we're about to read and say, we're not gonna be those idiots that don't comprehend, but what if these passages are actually more about, we are an unfaithful people, and here's what a faithful God looks like in the midst of an unfaithful people. That's hard to, hard to navigate. This week's hard to navigate. There's a lot of ups and downs. So I wanna read to you a couple passages. The first is from Luke 19. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. If you don't, you can read upon the screen. I will do my best to not mess this up when I read. This is Luke 19, 28 through 41. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount that is called Olivet, Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as they had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. This is not liberty to just go do this though, guys. Don't just go hop in someone's car. It's not gonna work. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Now just get that in your mind, walking down a hill, all this kind of ragtag groups just starts joyously proclaiming loudly all of the things that he had already done. Literal things, saying actual things saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, you, you need to rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, and this is straight from Habakkuk to 11, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, to the, near and saw the city, he wept over it. I just want to pull up Matthew. There's a passage in there that highlights a little bit of a different portion of this that I want to bring to the surface. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, 
who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your scriptures that you've given us, which are just like windows into the realities that are still here today. As the spirit went into the community at Acts, that same spirit is with us today, helping us to decipher and discern and bringing wisdom to the texts as we read them. Help us to read them correctly today, which is trusting in you. We ask Jesus that you would truly be the source material today, that you would be the ground zero of defining what this even means. And I thank you so much that we get to do this in community, that we get to share scripture together. That's one of my favorite things. And I thank you for allowing that to become one of my favorite things. And I pray it becomes alive in the midst of this community today. This is not just a historical text. This is an interaction with a living, vibrant spirit, empowered, and the scriptures attest to that. This is the Logos, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just really quickly, I want to recap a couple things. This is just on surface reading what's happening. Jesus is now at the end of his journey. He arrives as king. It's clearly some planning involved because there's something happening where he has to trust that his disciples will go get these things. It'll come about. So there's a plan in place. Some people actually think he might have visited there earlier and maybe made some plans. Others think, no, this is just the work of the Spirit organizing things. I'm not concerned with either. What I am concerned with is Jesus understands that there's a plan here and begins to move into it. He is placed on a donkey and rides on a donkey, and people begin to say, Hosanna, save us. People also begin to put down palm leaves. So what is a palm here? Just for you to know, in the history of Israel, King David, this was a sign of royalty, the palm. It's also, interestingly, and this is a fantastic fact, takes about 30 years for a palm tree to produce fruit, which is also the age of Jesus as he starts to start his ministry. Very underlying, clever, awesome. Cloaks are placed on the ground as a way to say, this is now the king. And people knew this. So you have happening in this passage, people have evidently began to hear about Jesus because they're there to meet him and start to do these things. There's also bursts of praise from the disciples. They literally are saying Psalm 118. And there's the same psalm, psalm is sung in the birth narrative in this same gospel. So in one passage earlier in this text, you have the angel, the angelic host singing this song. And in, a, in another passage later, you have humans on earth singing. So you have the same song from both realities. The reality that we live in and the reality of heaven begin to sing the same song about this new kingdom. Comes to fruition here. The disciples are told to stop singing by the Pharisees. And we don't honestly know why, but Jesus says to them a quote from another scripture, if these people were to stop, the rocks would cry out. And I think what he's saying is, I will always raise someone or something up to praise. This truth that I'm representing today is too important to not have it said. 
I want, I want to step into the kind of life, pastor or no pastor, where my life speaks the word of the gospel because it's too good not to speak. I'd rather move on from a season of Christianity where we're really good at highlighting how terrible it's being done from all the other people in Christianity. There's just not enough, it's not robust enough to build a gospel out of just what we don't like about the gospel, which is what I really appreciate about Jesus here because he definitely comes to speak truth to power in another kingdom, but that's not the emphases of his mission. That's not robust enough to just not like stuff. It has to be broader than that. It has to be the actual gospel of Jesus, which is what he does. And so, interestingly, on the other side of town, another procession is happening. And we know this because we have history books. And this is the Roman governor coming in from the other side, and he knows that there's gonna be masses of people in the city at this time, and he knows that he needs to take advantage of this. So he rides in, with dominance and power and submission. So you literally have two processions, we talked about this last year, entering the city at the same time. You have one that's meant to wield power and to coerce people to obey it. And you have another one that's literally ridiculous. And the one that Jesus chooses to ride in on is almost like a play. It's it's meant to do something. It's absurd. It's defenseless, it's weaponless, and he's riding on a donkey for peace. So we think the donkey is just a show, but a king would enter a city on a horse or a donkey in this season. And if it was a horse, they're there for war, and if it was a donkey, they're there for peace. Jesus rides in as king for peace. And it's as if he's saying, my words have not worked to this point, So I'm going to do something extremely extravagant. Not because you're gonna get it right now, but you will get it. You're gonna look back on this moment because this moment, Palm Sunday, will be something that shows us who Jesus is more than anything to this point. I love that about him. It also fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. I wanna read you this real quick. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from, river to the, from the river to the ends of the earth. This was written 600 years before what's happening. This is literally happening in this passage. Jesus is answering and fulfilling a prophecy because Jesus is interested in the long game. I don't like in a minute that Jesus weeps over a city because if he's riding in like this, there should be evidence that Jesus is king and it appears that there's not. What do we do when the God we serve does not come like we want him to come? And that's what's being said here. And so for the next seven days, from Palm Sunday to Easter, every single person that had followed Jesus up to this point, every single person that had the leaves, every single person that put their cloaks down, every single person that helped him on the donkey, every single person that was screaming, echoing the songs of the angels in the birth narrative, all those people leave him. Every single person by the time Sunday comes. There's no one left with Jesus, it's just Jesus. Every single person disapproves of the way that he is going to be king. Every single person is disappointed in Jesus. There's not a like. There's not an opportunity for us to be like, well, I, I, I'm not gonna be that. We are that. 
Here's what I feel like is the story. And I'm not done, so don't get excited. Here's the story. He needs us to see this is us. I feel like we're in danger when we say things like, I would never leave you, Jesus. Someone in scripture said that. I feel like we're in danger when we say, we will not do that. And then what we do is we lock into a version of a king that he's not asking us to lock into. And when that version doesn't happen, many of us deconstruct, but we're not deconstructing Jesus. And I'm not saying deconstruction is not in a healthy place in a way to move through towards reconstruction, but I am saying that many of us are deconstructing from a version that Jesus never actually intended us to to live for. And that's what's happening here. Everyone's version of the gospel fails them because Jesus is too powerless. He's too weak. There's literally on the other side of town someone riding a horse like a king. And they're probably thinking, that would not have been incredibly hard for you, Jesus. Like, you are Jesus. He's like, no, I'm riding on a donkey in humility because I'm trying to bring peace. And I need you to see this. And if you can't see it, you're going to miss pretty much all of it. Because then we're asked to ride into cities and into hard conversations, into theology, into church, into ours, on a donkey as well, right? We don't come out of this story and everyone gets a horse to ride in and conquer for Jesus. He's showing us the way of the gospel. Where is humility? Jesus is found there. Where's peace? Jesus is found there. Where are those who don't demand a certain way? Jesus is found there. Where are those who long suffer and go in the place of others? Jesus is found there. This passage holds up for us two ways to see. The way of the empire, and whether you know it or not, we all desire empire. That's just a fact. And the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, the way of the gospel, and it offers us an opportunity to examine how we might be in the story. In the empire, the crowd is seductive. What a crowd does, before you believe that you're not impacted by the crowd, we all are impacted by the crowd, but what a crowd does so well is it takes someone who is extremely lonely and makes them feel as if they're not lonely anymore. The crowd loves to crucify because that's a collection of a desire that makes people feel like they have a place. That's why they're screaming, crucify him later. The crowd is screaming that. The crowd seduces us into feeling like we belong The crowd is typically never helpful. Crowds are always dangerous, right? Maybe not always. But most large crowds induce some type of danger. That's the way of the empire, crucify. Christ's kingdom is too passive and too humble. It's too long game. And Christ is not just being sung out because he's a sign, Christ is now the presence of peace. So if, if you get one thing from today, there's a kingdom coming through, through Jesus. Jesus enters, he's not a sign. It's not like he's the sign of what's to come, which is what they think. It's coming now because the sign's here. And Jesus is saying, no, it's here. The kingdom's actually here. I am the kingdom. And they're like, no, you, you must not be the kingdom. You must be a sign. Jesus creates a thin space between two kingdoms and he comes to challenge a kingdom 
And his challenging of the kingdom doesn't look like destroying the kingdom with this kingdom's tools. Isn't that just amazing? Jesus doesn't use the the tools of the opposite kingdom. And if we could just understand that, maybe we could just delete Facebook. (laughs) Maybe that's just your lesson today. If the tools look like the opposite kingdom's tools of weaponry and hatred and war, it's not Jesus' tools. You don't... You don't win it that way, and you don't win quick. It's the long game. So Jesus comes and becomes this thin space. I love the idea of Jesus being this thin space where the kingdom is now present on earth, and anyone near to him is actually walking in the new kingdom. It's already there. And he's trying to tell them, I'm going to do a large-scale show today so that you can't forget that the way that I'm bringing this kingdom will look much different than the way that you want it to come. Because all of your ideologies about me are about to die, and all of you have them, and it's important that they do die. Christ becomes the source material. So his nature, I love this. This is maybe the most personal thing I'll say, but there's something about how playful this is that I love to see in Jesus. There's something that's just like a, a wise, uh, almost like, I can't think of the, word, the right words, but how Jesus embodies this makes me want to be a follower of Jesus. Just like, the, it's, it's ridiculous. He's thought through it so that it doesn't make sense to everybody in that time, but eventually it will. It's, I think there's some humor in it, but I think it's not just humor. I think there's some seriousness in it about what, what he means about the gospel, And like I said before, he doesn't just come to destroy a kingdom, he comes to embody a kingdom. And that, for us, is where we take the mantle of Christianity. If we're just here to destroy a kingdom, even if it's the Christian kingdom, and it's not hard to do that right now. Every night, I read a story about a local church or a massive church or some church where a bunch of dumb things are happening, and it's so easy to continue to build this case about all of the churches that just are not living and embodying Jesus. It's much harder to become a follower of Jesus and then embody what it is the gospel is. It's much harder. Jesus does it. He rides through a city on a donkey saying, peace, peace, I am coming And then he travels all the way to a cross and he dies. Cruciform life. And then he invites us not to take reign ownership of the new kingdom, but to travel to our own crosses for his sake. The cruciform life. This week is about the followers of Jesus and Jesus being led to their own deaths so that they might have life. (laughs) Yay! Yay! So this doesn't mean that you all go get to take a horse out of somebody's yard or a donkey or that all of your wildest dreams are are about to come true. This means that a lot of your wildest dreams are not the dreams of Jesus and you don't even want them anyway. So I said before, when Jesus weeps at the end of this, I struggle with this. This is profound. He looks at a city and he cries. And I I decided not to read the next three verses because they are literally horrifying. I'm not trying to not preach the word. If you'd like to read that, I would say reading scripture is a good thing. Dive into it. But it says some things. Jesus looks at a city as all these people are singing Hosanna and he begins to literally weep. And the reason he weeps is because they do not understand 
you do not understand me. And I just want them to understand. And the reason it triggers me so deeply is because that is what he's trying to say to us. You don't understand. And it's important that you know that you don't. Because if you feel like you do, then you're going to go build your own kingdom. But if you're dependent on me in the midst of me disappearing, in the midst of someone being in the hospital, in the midst of you not getting what you need, if there's a dependence there, if there's humility there, then there he will be. It's all about the proximity of Jesus. He's the source material. One of the commentaries said one of the most fascinating things I've ever read about this, which was, as Jesus is introduced here, Luke is actually expressing how the prophets attest to him. So it's like, well, you can see that he's significant because this is happening. But within the framework of Jesus and how he travels through it, Jesus turns the tables in the way that it's being produced so that he becomes the source material for the prophets. That's a big move. He now is what defines who's prophetic. He now is where we understand how life is to be lived and scripture is to be read. Christological lens is what a lot of people would call it. But see, it's not just history says he's coming. It's I'm here, everything is redefined. So for the definition to be actually made manifest, there has to be an interaction with Jesus. And that's today for us. We interact with our Father who pursues us, who is with us, who travels alongside us, who co-labors with us, who calls us beloved sons and daughters, who blesses us with gifts and talents and ways to serve. But there's no place from this point forward, from baptism forward, where we do this and Jesus does that. It's always from here forward, Jesus is the source material for our life which is troubling for some because I don't hear the Father. I don't listen to Jesus. Prayer is uncomfortable for me. I don't want to walk that way. It's trouble for some, but it's the kind of trouble Jesus wants us to step into with him. That's what the cruciform life is, I believe. So the lesson for us is don't not do this. The lesson for us is he knew when he entered the city, everyone would leave him. He knew no one would understand. He knew he was going to die at this point. No one else did. He still came. He didn't wait for everybody to figure out how to do it right to come. He did it when everybody was wrong. That's what he's saying to us. I'm doing this when you don't have it figured out. And that's important. This is the kind of Messiah I am. I come before you have it figured out. And then, then when you think you have it figured out and you move on your new understanding of how you figured it out, when that fails you, I'm still the Messiah for you here today. I still pursue you. I'm still with you. I'm still Emmanuel. I think one of the things as we leave, and I'm going I'm to close in a second. I have this picture of all these cloaks and palm branches really kind of they, they become this like prophetic, this prophetic idea. That's right in a way. It's wrong what they want him to do, but it's right that the king is coming. And I think at least we can become palm trees and cloaks. And if this week our idea is that we just say we want to prepare the way for others that they might experience this Messiah, 
I think that's what he's asking us to be. To not just invite people to an Easter, that's definitely not robust enough. But to invite people to our tables and to share who Jesus is, if we've been bearing the life and work of Christ, it should come out of us in ways that brings life to others. And it should look like, if, if you wanna know where Jesus is in a situation, I don't, I don't think I thought of this. And even if I did, I wouldn't like say that I did, but I really don't think I did. But whenever you're concerned about where is Jesus in this, look for humility. Where is humility? If you want to know where Jesus might not be present, look for pride. Look for demanding. Look for power. Because Jesus is always coming against that kind of kingdom. Always coming against those that dominate. He's not making any bones about it. He's here to create a new kingdom. And the kingdom will not look like ones that we can build. There's not a mind in this room or on this planet that can house the entire spirit and work of Jesus and knows how to accomplish it on their own. That's not possible. So Jesus invites us into this. Invites us into our brokenness. If you guys will stand with me. Palm Sunday became this day that he needed people to see who he is. So if you see anything today from these texts, from this service, from this space of worshipers together, worshiping Jesus, if you see anything today, I pray that it would be who Jesus is. Back to that first question, who is Jesus and what kind of king is he? there's this interplay I want to pray through that takes it from saying I don't like empire, nobody likes empire, we're a new version of Christian we don't like empire, we're not going to build a mega church takes it from that to the idea that within each of us there's a leaning towards empire and a leaning towards Christ and there's, there's always this idea that we can do it on our own, that's empire I could get to work less likely that we'll choose the way of Christ, which is, I cannot do this. I need Jesus. And interestingly enough, it's the way we enter the kingdom, humility. Humility is the posture that receives Jesus, where Jesus goes high and we go low. At our salvation, at our baptism, it should be the most selfish point of our life from there forward. As we grow, we grow like Paul did, where each day he recognized the need for Jesus more and the need for less of him. Our entry into this week is humility. I might be wrong. I might have this figured out wrong. I might have built my whole life around the wrong kind of kingdom. I might still be asking Jesus to accomplish something he didn't come to do.
And we cast down any version of Christianity that supersedes process of healing, growth, and makes it so quick nothing had to happen. We don't want that. We want your life, God.
It involves you actually pursuing prayer. Is These are five things our church is praying for. There's been a lot of movement in almost all of them. I'm asking you to sit with this and actually, if, if you hear or if you send something, to write it out. Culture of discipleship, adding new staff. I've been, I've been having interviews with people, and I can tell God is really providing what we need even for that. Um, what to do with our space? Should we re-up our lease? Should we? We have two spaces here. We have the table, which is beautiful. We have this space. Um, our place in Smyrna, the longevity, the location, um, and the Ukraine. I really would like, and even if just because we finished a little early, for some of you, you're like, that's early? Yeah, this was early for us. Um, take a moment and just maybe write out. We're going to create a space in here for you to just have some space. Take this home. Sit with your kids at a dinner. If you don't sit with your kids at a dinner, sit with your kids at a dinner. It's beautiful. Read them together. Be like, what do y'all think? We want everyone to interact before the end of Lent so that we can really pray together for this. And then, of course, if you'd like to be baptized next week, I'm going to meet with you right here, even if you're just questioning it. And then next week is Easter. It's going to be outdoors. So excited for that with you guys. Love you so much. The space in this room will be prayerful for you to interact with. If you'd like to go home, blessings to you. We love you. We're thankful for you. If you're going to stay in here and talk, you can talk in the middle. Love you guys. Thanks. joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.